Secret Service agents hot on the trail of a counterfeiter make a horrifying discovery. And then we travel to Helltown, Ohio, a city steeped in rumors. But how many of them are true? Is the town hiding horrible stories of Satan worshippers, ghosts, and serial killers? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I went to the uh, Indotronautics dude today found out that I need a root canal, or they're going to pull the tooth. Those are my choices. I have $11 in my wallet. $11. Until next Wednesday. And I took some cans down to get them recycled, and I found a $5 bill on the ground. So after I did my grocery shopping and finding the $5 bill and recycling those cans, I have $11. And the reason why I'm saying that is I always say I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It doesn't mean things are perfect. It doesn't mean things are perfect. But need a root canal? That's just the way it goes. You only got $11? That's just the way it goes. Don't let that stuff get you down. Because I don't. And that's the best way to look at things. It really, really is. Positive thinking, even when you're in a situation that doesn't seem very fun, just go with it, man. Just go with it. Because being negative about the situation helps nobody. I'm going to get the root canal done next Thursday, and next week, I'll get paid. I can make $11 last a week. I I can, actually, because I've been in this situation before. So just keep your head up, guys. I'm, I am having a great day, and I really do hope you guys are having a great day, too. Let's get started with the episode here. Oh, also, I saw Endgame last night, and it was super boring, but well, I'll talk about that maybe on a bonus episode or something, but let's go ahead and get started with the story here. Let's go ahead and hop on board the Carpenter Copter. You got some money for fuel? You're going to have to pay for the gas on this one, because I only got 11 bucks, guys. So after we go to the helicopter gas station, I'm like buying all these snacks. I was like, it's cool, right? If I buy these and you're like, fine, Jason, buy your, buy your keto snacks. They're extra expensive. Keto Doritos. Why don't they have those, dude? Anyways, so I'm buying all these. All, I'm buying a bunch of beef jerky and you're like, fine, put it on your credit card. I'm on board the carpenter copter. And you're like, wait, it didn't need any gas. And I'm like, <laughs> just wanted my snacks. We're going to hop on board the carpenter copter. We are going back in time. To the fabulous year of 1979, three years after I was born, so imagine three-year-old Jason boogieing down to disco music as we're talking about this story. Florence, Kentucky. It's July 13th. And there's a bank teller just doing her job, counting money, and she discovers a counterfeit bill. Now, counterfeit bills, a quick little side note, you guys know what counterfeit bills are. They're fake money, but just a couple little tips here. One, counterfeiting... It's one of the easiest crimes to get caught for. 90% of all counterfeiters are caught within the first year of operation. Generally, what they do nowadays is that when you make a counterfeit bill and when it's detected by the Secret Service, Secret Service has two jobs, protect the president and investigate counterfeit money. And when the Secret Service gets their hands on a counterfeit bill, what I've heard is they then scan the bill and get every fingerprint they can off the bill. And if your fingerprints show up on enough bills... And there's no, re- like, if you're a bank teller, if you are working with a cash register, things like that, you're going, your chances of handling more than one counterfeit bill is higher. But if you are like a mechanic or you work at a call center or something like that, and your fingerprints keep, sh- or you're unemployed, and your fingertips keep showing up on counterfeit bills, 
they're going to flag you. Now, a lot of times they may or may not have your fingerprints in the system already, but if you're a felon, they do. If you've ever applied for like a public job, like a state job, I believe they fingerprint you there as well. It's one of the tips they use. And then when they do catch you, they can go, well, your fingerprints are all over these bills. We have record of all these bills. So it's actually really easy to get caught for because the Secret Service only does the two things. It's not like the police where they handle everything from like petty vandalism to murder. What happens is petty vandals tend to get away. Secret Service aggressively investigates counterfeiting. So anyways, the Secret Service gets involved in this. So you have this crack team of Secret Service agents in 1979. They have the black suits, but they got like bell bottoms on. Big hairy chests with a giant chain. And they're like, oh, we got a counterfeit bill in Kentucky. And everyone's like, oh, okay, you know, it sucks, but that's what happens. And then they start to notice these bills, these counterfeit bills coming in from all over the place. What generally counterfeiters do is they can't, this is becoming an episode of counterfeiting now. They counterfeit a bill, like a $100 bill or a $20 bill, usually 20. They go to a gas station, they go to a small shop, they buy something for maybe like a buck, and then they get $19 in real money. That's what you do with it. You don't take stacks of counterfeit bills and buy a car. You th- you spend it and you get $19 of real money and you do that all day long and then you actually have a bunch of real money and everyone else is left holding your counterfeit bills. And the Secret Service agents are looking at these and they're like, these are really, really good counterfeits. These are amazing counterfeits. They're so good. These were printed in 1979. The Secret Service today still studies this case and they still use this gentleman's bills for examples of great counterfeiting. They still... This case is very well known in the Secret Service realm. In 1980, they discover a total of $30,000 in counterfeit bills coming from a single source. They can tell it's the same guy because it has the same image. It has the same tiny, tiny imperfections. So in 1980, $30,000 in counterfeit. And they're like, okay, this guy is in high operation. By 1982... They have a total of $130,000 in counterfeit from the same person. They've been looking for him this whole time. They weren't just like, oh, it's a fake 20. Ah, no big deal. They started pursuing him right when they got that first bill. And what would happen was that he was called the mall passer. Because what they realized was throughout the Midwest, this gentleman would go into a mall. They assumed it was a guy. Would go into a mall, spend a bill, and then get the change, then drive down the road and go to another mall and spend the bill. He was hitting all these malls up at this point for four years. And they called him the mall passer because that's where he's known for plying his trade. Now, they start, every time they get a counterfeit bill, a Secret Service agent would go out and talk to the place the counterfeit came from. And eventually they were able to develop a a sketch of the suspect. So now they know it's a guy. May 25th, 1983, the Secret Service agent walks into a mall and is handing out sketches of this dude to all the shop. Hey, you know, keep an eye out for this guy. And they're like, hey, nice bell bottoms. He's like, oh, yeah, it's 1983. I should probably get new pants, but forget that. Here's a sketch of this guy. We think he's passing counterfeit stuff. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll keep an eye out for him. So as the Secret Service agent's leaving the mall, he went to the Gap, bought some new clothes. He's walking out with a hot dog on a stick. He gets a phone call on his big old cell phone. I guess they, I wonder how they contacted him, actually. Did they have the big cell phones in 1983? He is walking out of the mall, though. He gets a call. He pull, Maybe he had the car phone, so he has the giant brick in his car phone. He picks it up, goes, hello? And it's a mall security guard, and, and the mall security guard goes, hey, were you just in here passing out those flyers? Secret Service agent's like, yeah, sure, and I got hot dog on a stick. Mall security guard goes, well, you might want to put that hot dog down because that guy is in here right now. Secret <laughs> Service agent runs and arrests the guy. They got him, and he says nothing. He's completely mum about the whole thing. 
Hey, man, what's going on? You counterfeiting these bills? Nothing. What's your name? Not, he, he's giving these guys absolutely nothing. Well, they end up finding out which car he had in the parking lot, and they find thousands of dollars in counterfeit money, guns, stolen license plates, fake IDs, a fake police badge, and they're like, oh, okay, this is getting a little weird. And they found a ton of aliases, and they start trying to figure out, where's this guy's printing press is what they want to know. Did he have accomplices? Where's the printing press at? We need all this stuff. They find his apartment. They eventually, because they didn't even know his name at this point. He had all these aliases. They were able to find out, deduce what his apartment was. They go there, tear the place up. There's nothing there. There's no printing press, nothing. But they do, this is always interesting to me, because this is police work plus luck. They're going through the apartment, have nothing. They can't figure out anything. They find a phone book. And I, I believe this wasn't his main apartment. Like, he had places scattered around the Midwest. They find a phone book, and in the phone book, they find a page kind of bookmarked, like dog-eared, so they're like, oh, it's something, right? They open it up, and it's a list of local storage units. It's a page of local storage units. So they go, let's start calling these storage units. They're calling around, hey, do you know, the, again, they didn't know the guy's real name, they just have these aliases. Hey, do you know this guy, this guy? They have to list all the aliases. Eventually, they do get a hit, and they go out to this storage unit and they're walking around and this the managers the manager of the storage unit's like i i, I thought someone was going to come by eventually and they're like what managers they're thinking he must have found the printing press like he must have, and he goes no i have no idea about counterfeiting you won't believe what i found in this guy's storage locker one day it was quote unquote left open i don't know if he was curious but he says that the place the storage unit was left open one day and he went to go lock it and he looked inside and he never said anything about what was in there secret service agents are like Okay, that's enough suspense. Show us where it's at. So they get to the storage unit, open it up. $52,000 in counterfeit bills are sitting in there, which is kind of what they expected. They find a bunch of uh, like cash papers, so stuff to make even more counterfeit bills. Another police badge. But what starts to concern them is they find a ton of sex toys in there. Now, nowadays... People have sex toys just sitting out. Like, you'd be walking to some girl's house, there's, like, a, a vibrator sitting on her bedstand. Like, people aren't ashamed of that stuff anymore. You walk down the street, some guy's just, like, waving a dildo in your face. But back in the 1980s, like, if you had sex toys, you were considered some sort of deviant. And, I mean, you could say people, who, people if, if they're waving it in your face today, would be considered deviant behavior as well. But back then, you, you look, you walked into someone's house, there's a giant dildo on the floor, you'd be like... What are you doing? So that's where the Secret Service agents came. They came in, they find these giant dildos, these whips, all these sex toys, and they're like, dude, it's 1983. I didn't even know this stuff existed. So at this point, the Secret Service agents are like sword fighting with these giant dildos. The boss is like, guys, put that stuff down. You have a job to do. They're whipping each other. Hey, look at me. I'm Indiana Jones. Guy's like, oh, I kind of like this thing. The boss is like, get it together, guys. We're Secret Service agents. But anyways, after the sword fight, after the Errol Flynn sword fight where they're like swinging along and they're dressed in leather chaps. I like this suit better than my... Take it off, Henry. Take it off. Do your job. After all, I have to lighten the mood for what's coming. Because as they're processing the evidence, they find an audio tape. And they're like, oh, I wonder if this is like the new Starship album. Or I think at that point they were still Jefferson Airplane, 1982. But hey, let's put in this, let's put in this uh, cool tape. Maybe we'll listen to some tunes as we're driving down the road. They put it in, and it's a woman screaming for her life, begging to die, just completely, like, flipping out. The agents are like, uh, that is, okay, this case has gone in a totally different direction. This woman is just screaming and begging to be killed as she's being tortured. 
Secret Service say, uh, this is a little bit outside of our jurisdiction. They end up, this is so bizarre. They end up contacting the FBI and they said, hey, listen, this, we have this guy in custody. He's not saying anything. We were able to find this storage unit full of all these sex toys. And the, the one guy starts pulling out of his pocket. The FBI agent's like, no, I know what a sex toy is. Just put that back in your pocket. We also found this audio tape of a woman being tortured in his possession. So we would like you to take over the investigation and, you know, find out, like, is this guy a serial killer, kidnapper, rapist? And the FBI said no. Because they go, there's no victims. Like, you have an audio tape, and you have some weirdo in custody, but there's no victims, so we're not going to help you investigate. So this is why this case is still talked about in Secret Service circles, is because, one, they master, he was a master counterfeiter. But two, this was a like a murder criminal investigation they had to take, which they normally don't. So they still talk about this case all the time. Secret Service is like, somebody needs to investigate this guy. We're not just going to get him on the counterfeiting. They start to look into violent crimes that took place around the times and places where they know the mall passer was because he was passing the counterfeit bills. And they identify him at this point as Mike DeBartlebin. And he had already been arrested in the past. Now that they know who he is, they can find out his rap sheet. They found out that he'd been arrested for sodomy, for kidnapping, for attempted murder, and for counterfeiting. So they're like, this is the right guy. And we believe he's done something else. In the storage unit, they found photographs of women. And some of them they could identify, some of them they couldn't. He had five ex-wives. And they were able to track him down. And one of them was the woman on the tape. And she goes, yeah, that was like a script he gave me. Like I was acting. And they're like, like that allowed them to go... Well, that's good that a woman didn't actually suffer this. And the wife was kind of like, well... Mm. this was a fantasy he had so he did tie me up and was like it was aggressive sex but he had me read this script out so it probably was some sort of sexual thing and the cops are like well that's great but it's good that you're alive like hearing that tape is so horrible we can't imagine somebody actually going through that but the thing is is that through the course of the investigation, they did match him up to several brutal rapes and at least one murder, possibly two. They did find a real estate agent bound up in the attic of a house and she was tortured and stabbed and so on and so forth. So they finally said, this guy is a sadist. This guy is aggressively raping women. He's murdering women. We think we have enough to put him away. He goes to trial and they don't charge him with the murder. Because they could never prove they found the real estate agent tied up in a sadistic manner in an attic of a house she was showing. And he was in the area and people thought, yeah, I thought I saw him with her like showing the house and stuff like that. Could never prove it. He goes to trial. He's convicted of six cases of kidnapping and assault. Sentenced to 375 years. He's dead now. He died in 2011. He never, ever, ever admitted to anything. He was stone-faced about the whole thing. So they don't know how many people he possibly could have killed. They do know that he was an aggressive sexual sadist. And they do know, they believe that he killed at least that one woman, if not many, many more. They were just able to kind of tie him to two murders. But he was doing this mall passing thing for so long. Plus he had this history of this. Plus he had these, uh, they don't know. They don't know. He just never, ever, ever admitted to it. As far as I know, he probably never even admitted that his name was Mike. I think that story is interesting. I came across this story years and years ago. I read a, at least two true crime novels on that case. I found it fascinating because I like police work. I like the idea, and it's 
probably one of the best like investigative stories where the cops are just kind of clueless. They're kind of not clue. I don't want to say clueless. It makes them sound bumbling, but they do kind of bumble onto this case. They're looking for a guy who's ripping off, you know, Claire's who's ripping off Hot Topic and they find a possible serial killer. But to this day, they don't know how many people he may have killed. I just find that story fascinating because it's basically, it seems so mundane on its surface, a financial crime that actually hid a very dark secret. And you gotta wonder, you really gotta wonder how many of those storage units, you're driving by those storage places all the time, how many of those storage units hold dark secrets like that? There could be all sorts of horrible things in there. It's just, it's creepy. It'd be the perfect place to hide your murder kit away from your wife or your family. And just, you go there, there's 24-hour ones, you go there late at night under your alias, open it up, pull out your kit, pull out your tools, and go and wreck havoc on people, and then just put them back. And everyone else just drives by that storage unit every single day, having no idea what was hiding in there. Because the Secret Service agents didn't. They just kind of stumbled across a giant collection of dildos and a tape that caught a serial killer. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Our next story... We are going to Helltown, Ohio. Now, I know what you're thinking. Can I find Helltown on a map? Is it the actual name of the city? No, it's not. No, it's not. But it's a very, very interesting story. Let's hop into Jason Jalopy because it's kind of in the same area, I think. Kentucky, Ohio. It's not that long of a drive, I don't think. Hey, can we go to the gas station? No, I'm just joking. So anyways, we're getting the Jason Jalopy. It's powered by, uh, powered by grease from McDonald's, so it just smells like french fries as we're driving down the street. But you do have, we do have to go to McDonald's. You're like, damn it, Jason, so I'm eating a bunch of keto fries. They should have those. They don't. I'm eating a bunch of meat with no buns. You're like, great. We're driving down the road. You're like, Jason, just set up a Patreon account. Quit bumming food off of me. We're driving down the road, and we're going to Ohio. Now, this place is, we call it Helltown, but it's actually a collection of towns, all in Summit County, Ohio. So there's like Boston Township and Boston Village and a couple other towns, but kind of absorbing all of that is this place that's been named Helltown. It was founded back in 1806. Again, the town leader wasn't like, and I do decree this town is known as Helltown. It was just this collection of townships. But in 1974, that hippie Ford, President Ford, environmentalist, said, you know what, let's go. And I don't know anything about Gerald Ford. Uh, but I just love that his his action to like beautify the nation caused this story. He said, you know what? We are going to have national parks. We are going to create a national park service and the U.S. government's going to buy huge parcels of land to beautify America. And everyone's like, yay. I mean, because who doesn't want to go to national parks? It is a treasure to have these giant places where you can go and enjoy nature and drive your ATV and hunt. Oh, wait, you can't do that stuff there? Just walk around and look at trees? That's fine. I don't have an ATV or hunt. But you have these huge, untouched, pristine parts of America. It's a great thing, right? So anyways, he enacts this. And and everyone's like on board, yay. But what they don't realize, and this is where the story starts to get really weird for me, and not in a weird sort of like debunk skeptic way, but I didn't know this would happen. When the National Park Service created Cuyahoga Park, they actually took this entire pristine part of land, but they also took a huge chunk of these towns and said, this is now National Park territory, move. People are like, what? They go, here's some money for your house, get out. So, and people were like, uh, no, I don't like the National Park thing anymore, but it was too late. 
the government owned that land. They gave you, quote unquote, fair market value for the house and you were gone. And people would post signs around town saying, now we know what the Indians feel like because they were getting driven off of their land. The government was like, this is just the way that it is. I find it weird that the National Park cut into these towns. But what happened was people had to leave. And you had like other houses where people were allowed to stay because it was outside of the outside of the zone, outside of the park. But at these houses, basically, the government would walk up to the house, kick everyone out, put a sign on the door that said no trespassing, and then go to the next house, kick everyone out. And the goal was to smash the houses down and let nature reclaim it so it could be part of this beautiful park. But the government being the government, they didn't do that part. They didn't do part two. So these houses just would start to slowly fall into disrepair. And you'd have burned out houses. Some houses would catch on fire. And you would have basically two streets of normalcy. And then you'd go two more streets and it would just be like a ghost town. These derelict houses just rotting away. And that's when the conspiracy theory started. See, people said, no, 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 no. This had nothing to do with the National Park. What happened was there was a chemical spill in the area. And to cover it up, the government said, oh, no, that area is also part of the park. Everyone get out, get out. (laughs) The the government agents are in gas masks and stuff like that. They're like, go, go, go. And people are like, what are you talking about? People are slowly turning into mutants. So they, to cover it up, they added those parts of the town to the National Forest. So that's where the conspiracies began. For a while, it was known as Mutant Town. And they believed that the no trespassing signs and all of that stuff was to keep people from going near the chemical spill. Now, that's one of those conspiracy theories that there's no proof of. But it's also one of those conspiracy theories that it would require government-level knowledge to find out if there was a chemical spill. Do I personally think there was a chemical spill there turning people into mutants? No. It'd be awesome, but it's unlikely. I think they probably just did buy up that land. But, you know, it's kind of awesome to think that maybe somewhere out there, the Colossus is walking around a national forest. Nowadays, though, people aren't too worried about mutant town. People are worried about the Mother of Sorrows. No, not a heavy metal band. It might be, but... Mother of Sorrows is what the local group of Satan worshippers are known as. Apparently, there's two churches in the area, and one of them is adorned with upside-down crosses. And so people believe that church is being actively used by Satan worshippers to try to bring the Dark One back to Earth. The upside-down cross was used in Gothic architecture. It's actually the the cross of St. Peter, I believe. Because when they went to go kill St. Peter, they said, hey, we're going to crucify you. And he said, please crucify me upside down. I don't deserve to die like Jesus did. So the upside down cross in Christianity represents humility and not being as good as God. I don't think most people know about the St. Peter idea of it. But anyways, they're saying that that's why that church has upside down crosses on it. Great cover story if you were the mother of sorrows, which again, that's a pretty badass name for a cult. But the mother of sorrow apparently operates in this area now. Because part of it is a national park and it does have these houses, it would be the perfect area. You could turn any of those houses into a trap house, sell drugs out of it. You could turn any of those houses into occult meeting places because they're basically off limits to everyone. And if you're already doing something illegal like child sacrifices or animal sacrifices and stuff like that or selling drugs, you do. You don't care. You're not going to be like, oh, I want to kill all these kids. No, trespassing. Come on, guys. Let's go to another house. Like, you have those legends of these worship, these Satan worshippers would be a better term for them. Yeah, Satan worshippers just in, like, in general, not the actual Satanic church. You'd have like these Satan worshippers in the area. You'd have these nefarious people. There's a story which, it's one of those stories that I like. It's actually really creepy. 
And then we get to the school bus. We get to the school bus. No, no magic school bus. You're not going on a ride with some redheaded teacher traveling into people's nostrils or whatever they do on that stupid show. I never liked that show. I just know that they always like fly around. Anyways, it's a, I keep wanting to say magic school bus. It's a regular school bus sitting out in the middle of the forest next to an abandoned house. And apparently this is one of the versions of the story. The school bus was driving through the forest on a field trip and a woman comes running down the street and says, my baby, my baby, my baby's so sick. You need to save him, bus driver. Bus driver's like, that's a weird accent, but you know, I'm I'm gonna help. I will help you, weird lady. So he pulls the bus up to their house. The bus driver goes, hold on, kids. I'm gonna go save this other kid. You guys can fend for yourselves. Jumps out of the bus and at that point, a bunch of satanic worshippers creeped out of the forest. It was a trap, you see. And before the bus driver could do anything, they attacked the bus and they rocked it and they killed all the kids. Not just by rocking it. They went in and killed the kids, right? There's another version of the story that, and this one's a little more outlandish. That one's just theatrical. But you figure, you know, 20 kids versus 10 saint worshippers. It's, you know, they're not going to do very well. This one has a single serial killer versus a bus of 20 kids and the serial killer hijacks the bus and kills the kids one by one and then if you go to the bus today you can see the image of a man sitting in the back of the bus smoking a cigarette and you just see all of these dead kids staring straight ahead that's spooky it's spooky spooky image but one human one adult versus 20 of anything will most likely lose one adult versus 20 chickens one adult versus 20 squirrels unless he's like gassing them one adult versus 20 school-age kids all one of those kids is dennis the menace one of those kids is bart simpson and that just one of them will wreck that dude and most likely he can rally the other two i don't think one adult could kill 20 i'm <laughs> Hey, I'm not. I don't want to put this to the test, but I mean, if they're on a school bus, they're probably. I'm gonna get into the weeds on this one. If they're on the school bus. They're probably what first, second, third grade. If they're going on a field trip into the forest, you don't take a bunch of kindergarten kids in there. So they're probably like second or third grade. I'd say you'd have at least another adult on there. One adult versus say 20 third graders. I don't believe could kill them all. I just don't think that's possible. But anyways, it doesn't matter because neither of those stories are true. It turns out that the guy, the the bus is real. It's actually been moved away at this point. But the guy, it was parked by an abandoned house. The house was being repaired and the guy bought the school bus so him and his family could live in it while the house was being repaired. And, the, and then they left and the school bus just got rotted and rotted. And then as people will do, they made up legends about the school bus. So you go, Jason. So what's the point of this story? You're kind of saying, you know, this, and then you're saying like, this is a logical answer behind it. This is why this is why I think this is interesting. I think there is something behind the legends of this town. We've talked about this before. When I talked about I did that episode on Stoll, Kansas, Ariana Grande and the Seven Gateways to Hell was the name of that episode. That was a long time ago. And this town is known for being haunted. This town's known for having all of this because it doesn't it's not really a town. It's more like a geographical area, but people still live around there. They do very aggressive policing to keep people out of that area. Very, very aggressive. They don't let people walk around late at night. There's a supposedly haunted graveyard that has like 24-hour surveillance. There's constantly cops surveilling people who are out-of-towners coming in, looking around. And I think it's one of those things that the people of this area could actually make money off of this. They could have haunted ghost tours, and they could be like, come, we'll walk through the, the National Park. It's free, but you charge them five bucks to do a walking tour of all these creepy houses. You could turn it into a boon for the community by embracing the ghostliness of it. 
Because if people are already going there for free to check out this stuff, you can find a way to monetize it and say, welcome to Helltown, and like rename the place, like actually name your town Helltown, and promote the hell out of it, and get people there and make money. But the residents there are actively pushing against that. Even though these legends are very widespread in the area, they try to shut them down, and they're like, none of this is real. Mother of Sorrows doesn't exist. Forgive me, Mother, I will pray to you tomorrow. It doesn't exist. There's no such person. Please forgive me, Mother of Sorrows, I will sacrifice a cat tomorrow. And you're like, that's a weird press conference. Why do you keep getting on your knees and whispering? I'm not. I'm not. Casting a magical spell on you. But they should promote this stuff. Because they could say, like most haunted house tours, you go on the haunted house tour and they're like, well, we might not see a ghost today. But, you know, just they don't have to be like, oh, yeah, serial killer killed a bunch of kids in there. But you could still talk about it and become a tourist attraction. Because nearby is actually a ski lodge. And it was so funny because as I was doing research for this, research for this show kind of sprawls out. I started researching the ski lodge and apparently it's just a bunch of hills. There's no mountains. And people people are like, yeah, I went here to go skiing. And Ohio doesn't have any mountains in this area. So I was just like going down a hill. And one of the reviews was me and my daughter were at this... Uh, resort at this ski lodge and the bathrooms were closed. Dun, dun, dun. I should play some scary music right now. This this, this is a true scary story. Me and my daughter were at this lodge, right? And the bathrooms were closed. Apparently Bloody Mary had broken out. It was on the loose, so they closed the bathrooms. And then all that was available was the porta-potties. Yes, the spooky, spooky porta-potties. And when I took my daughter to the porta-potty, and looked out at the snow-covered hills that people were skiing down. I opened the door up with the creek. And there the toilet was so filled up you could actually see the poop higher than the toilet seat. Urine and feces had gathered to such a mighty amount that the smell overcame both of us. But my daughter had to go to the bathroom so bad She couldn't even sit on the toilet seat without her butt touching the poop of previous people. Yes, I give this resort one out of five stars. So TripAdvisor and all people using TripAdvisor, be warned the legends of Helltown are true. It's not just a place of ghosts and myths and monsters, but a place of poop and pee and broken dreams. So yes, yes. The area the area does seem to have its problems. The, I'm not going to name the resort because I, I don't know. I mean, th- that was a real review. I, obviously, that's not exactly what she wrote. I'm not going to name the resort. The resort did get a bunch of other good reviews. But the point of the story is, is that the area is real and it does have economic business. <laughs> that whole thing had to just go into this next thing. Does have economic purpose. So why aren't people promoting this? Is it because the Mother of Sorrows is real? Is it because this group of worshippers of the Dark One don't want that attention? It's really easy to make a statement like that. I have nothing to back it up. But human greed is a really hard thing to overcome. It's a very, very easy excuse for why people do things. And so when someone says, nope, don't want your money, it does seem suspicious. But... Who needs a little bit of tourist money when the Mother of Sorrows provides everything you need? 
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>